to Lydia and Cara. I'm Tim. I'm the vicar here. I know there's one or two people. Someone's here for the first time. I've met them already. You may be new or visiting. It's really good to see you. Um, it's maybe worth saying, uh, because of our weekend away, you'll have seen that on the, the screen um, just behind. It's part of the notices that are scrolling on the screen at the back um, afterwards. But because we were away as a church for the weekend, so there won't be a five o'clock service next Sunday. We'll have worshipped all weekend. Um, and um, so there'll be no five o'clock next weekend, but from the following Sunday onwards. And actually, if you are new here, just click on Connect at St. D's on the website. You can sign up to 60 Seconds. That's the way in which you find out about everything going on. Things like the fact that Alpha is starting on the 5th of February, uh, and there's an open house for newcomers. I'm just speaking to the newcomers here now who wouldn't otherwise know. Uh, and that's on the 18th of February. It's a change from the term card, which is this green card you'll find on the desk out there with everything on it. Here we go. This is Matthew um, chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, part of um, a collection of teaching of Jesus we know as the Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. As we sit a short word of prayer, Lord, simply that you'd enable us to engage by your spirit with your word this evening. That you would inspire us to live lives that make you look good wherever we are. Whether we're church gathered in this renewed building or whether we're church scattered at the school gate in our places of work, in our places of leisure, in our homes and networks and neighborhoods. That we'd live as salt, we'd live as light for your glory. So, so teach us, instruct us, commission us this evening, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I really believe uh, that actually God is going to, uh, he already is actually through the worship, uh, just as we were praying before the service um, and through his word as the spirit lights. I think, I really believe God is going to speak uh, and challenge us and inspire us and release us, commission us this evening. So hang on to your hats. Uh, we've, um, this has been a little mini series We've been looking at our values, the things that are important to us, the things that we, that we deeply value, either as, as just statements in and of themselves, or, and there's a part of it in which they're aspirational too, they're, they're, they're things that we value but we want even more of. They're, they're three E's to um, kind of got an up, in, and out pattern or shape to them. We've looked at our desire, our value to encounter God through worship, through reading of his word, through prayer, through silence, contemplation, 
sometimes withdrawing from the busyness of life so that we hear his voice even more clearly to encounter him. We, I desperately don't want to be the sort of custodian of a religious community, but to be spiritually alive through fresh and daily and regular encounter with God, to embrace one another, to, to burst through the, the bubble of sort of British indifference, <laughs> to, to, to pursue authentic spiritual friendship over and above um, kind of, you know, any other kind of relationship, be it romantic relationships, they're undergirded by a spirituality, I want to suggest, or are, are, are contracted relationships at work, or maybe they're family, um, social relationships, just sort of affiliations. All of them are, are kind of given color and meaning and texture by a spiritual foundation, spiritual friendship as we recognize God at work in one another and, and look to call that out. And I guess that leads into, into tonight, the out bits, the engage, that our, our hunger for sort of spiritual depth, one with another, would spill out from when we gather together in our fellowship to the streets and the neighborhoods and this city, this nation, our world. Did you, did you notice that Jesus describes his listeners here, their, their kind of would-be followers in the day, um, the people of God, kind of Jews and others listening in? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. For the linguist here, that is the indicative tense. It's not um, the subjunctive. It's not a sort of conditional clause. You could be or you might be. Here's a possibility. Or some of you are and some of you probably won't be. No, it's, it's just plain and indicative. Like saying, it's cold today. That's just a fact. So you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus is describing us. He's calling us to engage in our world. Now listen, this isn't, um, this isn't a challenge or an issue that's just pertinent to us in, in London, in this extraordinary sort of um, global city that we live in with all the kind of, the, the different sort of competing voices with the, the, the sort of cultures, um, customs, languages, beliefs in what appears to be a rapidly fragmenting and, and often kind of isolating culture. It's extraordinary that we can be living cheek by jowl with several million people and yet loneliness can be so endemic amongst us. How are we called to engage as God's people in this city. It, it's, not, it's not a challenge that is new for us. Really interesting, um, in uh, the prophet Jeremiah, God addresses a people who have been exiled from home. They're living in Babylon, a different city, a different culture, different language, different color, different textures, different food, different practices. They're feeling quite homesick. And, and, and part of that thing is what, how, when we're away from home, how do we live in Babylon? And, and the mentality would appear amongst some of God's people back then was, well, look, we'll just, we'll just kind of hunker down 
and hope that God one day will be faithful to his promise and, and take us back home. And then we can start to live again. We'll just put everything on pause. We'll kind of freeze, if you like. And this is what God says. It's on the screen here. Jeremiah 29. Uh, and from verse 4 through the prophet, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Interesting. It was not God's ultimate design, and we see this now with hindsight, it was not God's ultimate design that his people stay in exile. That was just for a generation or two. His design is that they would be his people in his place, living out his plans and purposes. That was always his plan, which he, he ultimately fulfilled in Jesus and his redemption. But it's interesting to note that while they are displaced, while they are, if you like, homeless, while they're in a foreign land, temporary setup and residence, his word to them is live, prosper, Invest. Don't withdraw. Even in exile, engage. Engage. I wonder whether some of us, but particularly, particularly with the lifestyle, that, the life stage that a number of us are at in this service, I wonder whether a number of us are tempted to kind of just put life on pause, to sort of disengage a little bit. And, and the thing is, rather like the Israelites, oh, I'll wait until, they, they will, I'll wait until we're back in Jerusalem and the walls are rebuilt and we've got the temple, and then, and then. And, and I wonder whether some of us, well, I'm just renting a room in a house with a few mates. I'll wait until I've, I've got my own place. Maybe I'm renting it or perhaps I'm buying it. I'll wait until I've found my life partner. Perhaps I'll, I'll wait until I've got a home, until I've settled. If I'm honest, London feels a bit sort of isolated, a bit big. It's not really home to me. I'm here for the time being. I'll wait until I've got a lovely shack in the golden postcodes, the Surrey Hills, wherever I'm at. I'll wait until, until, and then, and then. But that wasn't the word of the Lord to the exiles in Jeremiah. He had no intention that they stay there forever. This was only going to be permanent. But while they are in this temporary existence, invest, engage, build, grow. I want to say to you, even if so much of your future appears uncertain, you don't know this time next year what job you'll be doing, what house you'll be living in, who you would count as your mates, even if this is your church doesn't really matter. Seek the Lord and engage with where you are right now. You are the salt of the earth. How do we, how do we engage in the city? In a city like ours? Other than the Bible, maybe one timeless piece of work that continues to speak to us today was written about 1500 years ago by saint augustine of hippo 
it, it's, a, it's a huge work in title, which I don't pretend to have read, uh, uh, just praises of it. But um, it's uh, entitled The City of God. It's actually 22 volumes. And essentially, Augustine argues that where you have a cluster of people, a city, you find all sorts of desires. And, and if you were to distill down those desires, they basically are either desires for what he calls the city of God, the, we might say the kingdom of God, for the things that are on God's heart, that God values, freedom, joy, love, generosity. You, you find in a gathering of people, particularly where the people are after God's heart, you find those kind of things bubbling. But you also, in this life, in this earth, on the, in the earth, what he calls the earthly city, or it's kind of, it's come to be known as the city of man, he, by contrast, the city of God. Augustine doesn't really ever use that phrase in this work. The earthly city. You find, you find desires that, that cluster around accumulation of things, of wealth or status or prestige. And Augustine argues that, that as Christians, he's, he's making a particular argument, he's, he's trying to argue that actually Christianity was good for the Roman Empire, whereas a lot of the sort of current narrative is that Christianity brought down the Roman Empire. He's saying, no, actually Christianity was good. If, if only more and more men and women had pursued the city of God. He said, where you, where, you, where you find people who understand that God has already given them life through Jesus. This Jesus who, who died selflessly for us that we might live. This Jesus who died outside of a city in order that we might be free to live in a city. Not needing to grasp or to grab, but to give and to bless. He says, there you find the city of God, heaven on earth, being realized. But the, but the alternative is where the city and its desires is caricatured by or, or characterized by, by greed. The, the, the deeper and more entrenched accumulation of stuff and things, often at the expense of others. Don't live selfishly, Augustine says. Live selflessly in line with your savior who gave himself selflessly for you so that we are completely free because of his love for us to give love to others in the city of God on earth so the implicit challenge in Augustine's work and his life the implicit challenge all through the ages is what are you doing, what am I doing, to build my peace of the city of God on earth? That's the question in the, in the next slide, Sam, if we've got that there. We'll pause on it for a moment. What am I doing to build my peace? with all that God has uniquely given me in terms of my gifts, my passion, my temperament, my experience, how am I building my little piece of the kingdom of God, the city of God on earth?
The issue in Jesus' day is that God's people had, had kind of so assimilated into those around them that it was incredibly hard to tell them apart. Um, to use his metaphor here, the salt had lost its saltiness. It had become useless. And so he recharges the, the kind of challenge for each and every one of us followers of Jesus Christ. He says, let's look at these two metaphors for just a few minutes. First of all, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth, not just, you know, of um, the church or your immediate neighborhood. You and I are the salt of the earth. Kind of interesting metaphor. You, 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 know, you kind of want to inspire people. You know, it's a rallying cry. Uh, uh, I want to sort of, you know, really build you up with a kind of vision for living this life, this city of God on earth. You are, you know, you could be like a kind of fragrant flower or, you know, you are kind of a, you know, a kind of six pack of muscles or I don't know. I mean, you, you can, you know, you're something sort of powerful or beautiful or salt. Jesus, really? About the best you could come up with? Salt. You are the salt of the earth. It was commonplace in Jesus. That's commonplace in our days. Now, I mean, pretty much, I'm, I'd be surprised if there was a household that hasn't got salt somewhere on the kitchen table or in the cupboard. Uh, it was so much so, it was how, it was the way in which you were paid back then. Um, the Latin for salt is salarius, from which we get salary. And so you were paid uh, a measure of salt according to whatever you'd, work you'd done. That's why we, we, the, the, the sort of expression still exists today. Oh, they're worth their salt. We don't want to tell you, she's worth her salt. It means she's, you know, she's, she's done, you know, she's earned her pay. But salt always is distinctive. It's different. It is called to stand out. That's how salt works. As it gives itself to its work. Now, back in the day before electric refrigeration, this was how you preserved um, your meat or things that were likely to go off. It's how sailors on a long voyage, they'd rub salt into the meat that they would store to, de to delay the decay of that meat. Salt preserves goodness. When Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, he's calling you and me to preserve goodness. In other words, to, to spot it amid all the stuff that's not so good. In, in the topics of conversation, in the language that is used, in the attitudes that are held of colleagues and friends, in the office banter and gossip. So much of it kind of slowly, subtly, with humor and everything drags down. It's to look for the good and lift it up, to preserve the good. No one, even the worst person in the office, in the team, no one's completely bad. There's nearly always something in that God-made person that we can spot and call out. Could we be the preservatives in our speech, in our conversation? There's a lot of, understandably maybe, a lot of cynicism around public discourse at the moment. A lot of, it's very easy to be negative about public figures. I confess from time to time I fall into that temptation. And that God calls me to be salt, a preservative of flavor, of goodness. So I engage with my colleagues, with my work, 
with the world. You are the salt of the earth. Salt, too, brings out flavor. It, it isn't actually the flavor itself. If you put salt into a, you know, a stew, it's, it, salt isn't kind of beefy, but what it does is it engages, it, in fact, it loses itself in the stew to draw out the flavor of beef that is already implicitly there. It, it just makes it even more obvious. It brings it out. It doesn't create the flavor, but it, it draws it out. God isn't calling us to be or to create love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness by being salt. It's who we are as we exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. But as salt, we go into the context in our city looking to grow the city of God and, and as we engage in conversation, in friendship, as we serve, as we look for ways to go the extra mile to bless others in Jesus' name, we, we call out the flavor, we call out goodness. We model it and encourage it in others. You are the salt of the earth, preservative, flavor bringer. I've said this before, um, but I think it's worth repeating because it's, it's true. <laughs> Just let's imagine we've got a great big pot of stew and you want to call out the flavor. Let's imagine that there's five kilograms of stew. How much salt does it need to enhance the flavor of the whole pot? And the answer isn't five kilograms. That would, that would ruin it. It's actually a tiny amount. It's probably about five grams of salt for five kilograms of stew. And you'd notice the difference. I say that because I think we often underestimate the impact we have as Christians, as salt. I think we sometimes think that we've got to, we look at um, the kind of negativity. We look at the, if you like, the city of man, the earthly city all around us. And it feels so overwhelming that we think the only way we can overcome it is if we meet like with like. That if there are 10 non-Christians in my office, it's going to need 10 Christians to at least get budget neutral, just to get balance. But I, I, they, they've done some studies. Um, I, they, who are they? I don't know, and I can't reference this study. But it was in a conversation with... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you statters are going to dismiss what I'm going to say next. I'm going to plough on regardless. It was in conversation with the Bishop of Kensington. There, see... Uh, in a, I was in a team thing. Apparently, they have... You can change a culture if 17% are, are in favor of the change or go with the change or model or exhibit the change. You just need 17%. I, I think sometimes we think we need, you know, 80 or 90% to change the culture. You, you don't... Stats have proved. I'll, if you're interested, I'll, let me, I'll, I'll research that and let's do that properly. You know that with salt. Don't put five kilograms of salt in five kilograms of stew. You'll ruin it. It's a little bit of salt. You, are, you and I, we 